Hey, good morning. How are you? Good to see you today. Hey, that was, that was an awesome welcome video. Thank you, Jern. I got a funny story about Jern. You guys want to hear it? Yeah. I guess he tells funny stuff about me. I can tell funny stuff about him. But we, we moved here uh, from Cleveland, Ohio in January 2016 and became good friends with Jern and Jess and had them over to the house during that first year at some point. And, uh, you know, we, the conversation was going really good. And, um, and then we got to that point where he, he was going to tell us, uh, you know, something that he wasn't announcing yet to everybody else. And we got information that he was praying about coming to the Northland to start a church. But it was one of those situations where it was like, hey, I'm telling you this in confidence, right? And I forgot about the conversation, so I don't know. I, I, I claim deniability after that whole thing happened. Somehow it got out the wrong way that he was coming up here to do that. It wasn't a bad thing, of course. Our church was all the way behind it. But they were trying to you know, retrace humorously where it came from, and I got pegged with telling everybody that Jern was coming up north. So uh, anyway, I'm just so glad it happened, but I tell you what, You guys have got an incredible pastor and pastor's wife. Man, they're not only good friends, but they just have something really special. And I'm not just saying that because he's not here and he kind of, you know, elbowed me to kind of build him up a little bit. He doesn't need that. And if you know him, he doesn't need it at all. He's, uh, He's very confident in who he is and who God is made him to be, and he's got something that um, you need in a lead pastor, is he's a leader. And y'all, if you've been around the church for a long time, you realize that, you know, there's a lot of people in leadership positions that look the part, but they aren't necessarily leading, because it's just not who they are naturally. But Jern's just kind of a a unique guy where he's got the right mix of gifts to do exactly what he's doing here. And I'm just telling you, when I heard the first time that he was going to be doing this, I'm thinking, yes, why why wouldn't he do that? I mean, that that is exactly what God has gifted and made him to do. So Jern, thanks for being a leader. Thanks for leading this church. And thanks for the honor of sharing this desk with you today. And I'll try not to mess it up too bad. Sound good? All right. Hey, listen, I've got uh, some words for you today, and I love if you have your Bibles, I'm going to have you read uh, from 2 Samuel chapter 15, and I'm actually going to have to uh, paraphrase a couple of the sections because it, it spans over uh, chapters 15, 16, and 17. So, you know, I wouldn't come up and read the whole Sermon on the Mount. You know, I'd probably paraphrase a little bit of that if I were in Matthew 5 through 7, but I'm going to just paraphrase a little bit. But it's going to be a great story about fathers. Can we just give it up one more time for our fathers in attendance today? That's right. And those of you watching online, man, I'm telling you, we're so thankful for that. I've been really gifted from God to have been around some very godly men in my life. I'm thankful for that. I'm a third generation pastor. And I'm very thankful for the men that God has brought into my life and have been kind of this network of voices to help me navigate where God has led me through and and to do what he's asked me to do. And we need that. We need those different sets of voices. Like Jern said, I'm in student ministry 
And one thing that we love to do is to give parents this visual that if they're struggling with a teenager is we try to find out, you know, who is speaking into their life outside of mom or dad, you know, and we, we try to find out are the grandparents involved, are, you know, uh, Christian aunts and uncles involved, are uh, people from church involved, are they in community? And we give them this visual as we want to stack the stands with people that are cheering them on. And the more voices that we have speaking into this, uh, the better off they're gonna be in the long haul. But if we're left to our own and we don't have those voices speaking into our lives, we're gonna be in pretty much a bad way. Amen. Uh, Fathers, let me just ask you a question real quick. Do y'all get kind of worried coming to Father's Day at church some days? Do you feel like you get beat up? Can I, can I just see a raise of hands real quick? You're worried about coming to Father's Day? No, okay. You don't have to worry about me. I'm not going to beat you up. I'll probably beat myself up and y'all can watch. How's that sound? Sound good? But uh, it's kind of funny because a lot of churches, they treat Mother's Day like it's Christmas, you know? And that's great. They deserve it, right, man? Let's just tell them they deserve it. Yes. You know, Mother's Day, you've got the giveaways and the flowers and, you know, the treats and everything's all set out and everything's nice and decorative. Father's Day comes, you got like a Sam's Club folding table with a bunch of New Testaments on it because they don't think dad has a Bible. Like, dad, dad's a Christian? That's new, right? But, uh, yeah, you know, when you see mom, it's like, you know, mom, how are you this morning? Good morning, mom, I love you so much. Father, you know, that's just kind of how it is, you know? But I hope you're not scared today. This is a safe place, and I really hope that God has something for you. I'm going to try to be real, but not too raw, all right? Because you can get that way, especially the older you get. You can get a little bit more cynical and jaded. Can I just get an amen from our guys over 45, all right? It's, it's hard to keep believing, as the song says, but, uh, you know, we've got good reason. And uh, being a dad is awesome. And, uh, you know, while all men are not fathers, all men growing in Christ are or will be spiritual fathers. Let me just say that again. Not all men are fathers, but all men that are growing in Christ are or will be spiritual fathers. And the last time I checked, the spiritual connection outlasts the biological. Okay? That is not to downplay the biological connection that you share with yourself and your father. That is a special thing and a divine thing. But the spiritual connections are going to echo into eternity whether the biological does or not. So we want to thank you for those men that are pouring into your peers and in the generation down. Continue to be that spiritual father. We need you. Like Jern said, my wife and I, we have five Kids, I used to say beautiful kids, but now they're kind of growing up and the jury's out whether or not they're going to be beautiful in the long term, so pray for me. But, um, you know, we, Becca and I have been married now for 23 years this July 4th. We have uh, four boys and one girl, and it is crazy in the Holman house right now. We've got two young adults in college, one teenage son driving and two under 10 that are driving me nuts. But God has been so good to us, and I'm so thankful for my family. And here recently, I've seen the value in being a dad over anything else. 
I don't know if there's anything more special in my life than being a dad right now. And it took me a long time to figure that out. Because it really, I had my, my categories out of whack. I had different things in the wrong places. I had important things in the meaningful spot and meaningful things in the not very important spot. So just in the last couple years, God has helped me rearrange a few of those things. And you're gonna get just the highlight reel of what has happened. But I want you to know that this is not an empty message. This is something where God has made me eat what I've prepared for you today. And I hope that there's something in there that touches your heart. This message is primarily to fathers, but I know you can find your place in this as well if you're breathing. Can I get an amen if you're breathing today just to let me know you're here? Okay, good. I think this will be good for you. But guys, we are who we've been becoming. Now, you, you are a certain way right now because you've made certain choices along the way in your becoming. You are the result of who you've been becoming. And a few key things play a role into that. I remember the first time I got celebrated for something I did well as a young adult was a very impacting moment. My grandfather, who was my pastor growing up, still alive to this day, 94 years of age, wonderful, godly man. But my freshman year of college, I was at a Bible college in Springfield, Baptist Bible College, if you'd heard of it. All right, all right, great. Go Patriots. We still got a, a few students left down there, but no, thankful for my education. And I, was, I came back for Christmas, uh, vacation my freshman year and my grandfather had asked me in November Thanksgiving when I was home for Thanksgiving break he said hey when you come back over Christmas break I want to have you preach on a Sunday evening service and um, I was like oh, I was kind of you know freaked out at first I was like well you know I've never preached before but hey you gotta there's a first time for everything right and I guess I gotta start somewhere so why not in my home church and you know exams happened and all kinds of things in the next five or six weeks and we get to New Year's Eve service it's the watch night service y'all remember those watch night services at church right well we had one of those and um, I serendipitously sat next to my grandfather on the front row when we're singing through the, the final song before whoever is supposed to speak gets up and speaks and I lean over to my grandfather I was like how you doing? He was like, good, you ready to go? And I forgot I was supposed to prepare a message. I had literally 45 seconds to prepare something. 45 seconds. Now, I grabbed a tithing envelope from the pew in front of me, you know, and I leaned over to him and I'm like, hey, what should I say? Just kind of jokingly, you know, like, you know, asking for a friend. And he was like, oh, just read him John 3.16 and sing him a song. And he kind of laughed. I was like, that sounds like a great idea. That's what I'll do. <laughs> so I took a tithing envelope and, you know, wrote John 3.16. And, and then I, I had the, the verses of a favorite Christian song of mine memorized. So I figured that's like another minute. You know, and I'm trying to stretch it out. And I, <laughs> I learned to uh, um, really play to the emotions of the crowd during this time. 
in a moment of sheer panic. So I got up there. I was terrified. But something came over me. I was like, you got this. So I read John 3.16. We got through that. Still had a long time left. <laughs> read through the rest of this song. Took, and I really paused my way through it. Took my time. I was proud of myself. Put some emotion into it. And then there was this one line of the song that always got me. Y'all, I'm not lying to you. I fake cried. (laughs) That it really touched me deeply. And I really just gave it. I think I bit my lip. I was like, you know. And I heard somebody from the back go, hey, man. I'm like, man, this guy, does he really believe an 18-year-old is getting moved right now with a message that everybody can tell he just put together on the back of a tithing envelope. But for some reason, he thought it was good. And two things happened in that moment. Uh, I was ashamed. I should say there's three things. I was ashamed. But um, I got a few laughs. There were people that knew it. And there were a couple other people that kind of joked along and said, Holman, you may have a gift there. You just need to prepare. I was like, okay, cool. And... um, So two things. God showed me that there was an inclination toward Christian ministry and through presenting a message. And also as well, you know, the flesh. Satan comes in with another sideways agenda that says, hey, I know how to get you a few more amens. You know? And for the next 20 years, I preached with a hidden agenda of self-exaltation and uh man it grieves it grieved me it doesn't grieve me anymore uh it grieved me for a long time that I could be so self-centered and I thought for a while a long while I'd convinced myself that now man I'm doing this for God's glory and inside if I didn't get an amen or if I didn't get a you know attaboy or you know pat on the back man you're God's really using you like my entire week was destroyed because i based um, my worth and meaning identity based upon how well I communicated. And at that point, that could have been just entertainment or comedy. It really didn't matter. The message, what mattered was whether or not I felt like I affected people. And came to, my, came to myself probably right when I moved here, because I, I came out of a church plant in Ohio and... Um, Really, the only thing I did well was preach. And everything else was just mixed results. And I found out that in ministry work like this, you can't just be a preacher. There's work involved. There's a lot of really good work involved. And leading is one of the hardest things that you can ever aspire to do. And it's not all the time glorious work where preaching is if you can pull it off the right way. It's lazy, and that's what I was guilty of. So I'll try not to beat myself up too much, but just to give you some context of where I'm coming from, it's really what happens uh, when a good gift goes bad, okay? Here's what I learned. I, likely much like yourself, like to be celebrated, right? And I think this is how most of us kind of figure out what to do in life is when our parents start leaning into good behavior. Hey, that's good. Do that again. No, don't do that, okay? We kind of go towards the celebrations. Like, 
I'm coming away from pain into the good life. I don't like being told no. I don't like being shamed. I like good behavior if that's what gets celebrated. So most of us just kind of involuntarily follow the way of less pain, right? So we do what, whatever gets repeated somewhere got celebrated. The thing that you do in your life, that specific thing that you do peculiarly, I can't say that, peculiarly well, somebody celebrated it along the way to give you a little bit more incentive to keep going, right? Let's just go with that assumption. And I know there's always exceptions to that. I don't want to teach to the exception. I want to teach the rule today. You have repeated behavior and you've got pretty good at one thing because somebody somewhere back in your past, somebody celebrated it. They saw value in it, and you're thinking, that's where I need to do that. And you found out, I do have value in it, that God gave that to me, and I figured it out, that I can serve God with it, and I can feel fulfilled in it, and I can find purpose in it, so what's there to lose from it? And if you ask yourself too many questions on the front end, you really get into this game of do I or others have the right motive? And it, if there's a young people in here today or young adults where you're still trying to figure out the whole gifting thing, I'm just gonna tell you right now that your motives are not completely pure. And, that, and, and God knows that. And he's gonna give you an opportunity to flex that gift, whether natural or spiritual, and you're gonna have mixed motives. Because you mean it, you do mean it for God's glory if you're a Christian. But you also mean it to affect self. Don't let that stop you. Just go, serve, and let God do some mid course corrections along the way. The worst thing would be to just stop serving because you think it's all about yourself. Don't do that. Just, just go. And then allow God to bring in the right voices along the way to help steer the ship. But it's got to have movement if you're going to get corrected. Don't be afraid of the loving discipline of God is what I'm trying to tell you. Don't be afraid of it. Welcome it. It's one of the best things that can ever happen to you. If you open yourself up to say, God, I'm willing, I'm gonna just go in the direction that I think you're pointing me to go, and I know I'm not yet in the image and likeness of Jesus in whom I will be someday. But allow God right now to make you and shape you with movement. He can't do anything if he sits still. The clay has to be moving on the wheel in order to be shaped by the potter. And if you sit still, it's going to be a lump. And you're going to lose out on some pretty cool experiences. Just go and trust God to shape you while you're moving. Well, we like to be celebrated. And... We repeat that celebrated behavior, and whatever gets celebrated gets replicated. This morning, I want to give you a scenario of what happens when we see a couple things. And if you're taking notes, if you're recording the message, I know a lot of people, I'm not telling you how to take notes or you know, record or anything like that, but I'll give you a tip. We record all these messages now, right? We live in the age where everything has gotten recorded somewhere, and I'll just say this. If you want to take notes, do it on the second time around. Take notes now. You be you. Do you. But don't fret if you don't get something down 
and uh, just watch it again. But I hope this is inspiring to you. This morning, I want to give you a scenario of what happens when we use God's natural and spiritual gifts to exclusively serve a personal agenda. I want to give you a scenario of what happens when we only do what gets celebrated instead of learning to celebrate the right things. I also want to give you a scenario of what happens when we celebrate ourselves to the point of self-exaltation instead of celebrating the only one God ever plans on exalting. There's one. There's not many. Just one that God plans on exalting, Jesus. And if we can get behind that, we're going to be amazed at what God can do with the rest But if we can just get to that point to say, I know it, that God is only going to plan to exalt one, just Jesus. And if I can get into that, if I can get into what God is doing through Christ, then there's so much more possibilities that I hadn't even dreamt up. Because you don't have the mind of God, but the mind of God is in you. If you and I serve the idol of celebrated performance, what happens is we're the sum total of what we do. And if you are the sum total of celebrated performance, what happens when you fail? That's my question to you. Today, if you have chalked up all of your meaning and worth and identity to the thing that you do, what happens when you don't do that anymore because the opportunity gets taken from you? Or when somebody comes along and does it better? You get replaced? What happens? I'm going to give you a biblical example of how this happened in a very painful way. And hopefully we can learn from this guy's example. The title of this message is The Idol of Performance. In 2 Samuel, I'm going to read chapter 16, verse 23, and I'm going to give you the person that we're talking about. His name is Ahithophel. How many of you have ever heard of Ahithophel before? Anybody? If you read your Bible through in a year, you might have seen the name. But he's a sleeper in the Old Testament, but a really great story once you start to look into his life. Now, the advice of Ahithophel, which he gave in those days, was as if he had inquired at the oracle of God. So was all the advice of Ahithophel, both with David and with Absalom. Now, we got a lot packed in that. And I, don't, I won't unpack everything, but I want to give you just a glimpse of who this guy was. He is the advisor to King David and was likely, potentially also, to King Saul. And we find out that he was also advisor to Absalom when Absalom revolted and took the throne from his father by force. So he had an in with all three of the first kings of Israel. And his counsel was so good, it was looked upon as the near oracles of God. If this guy would have had like a Google or Yelp review, it would have had five stars. You know, it would have said, man, Ahithophel just helped us, you know, in our family through something really difficult. You know, we thought we had a direct line to God through Ahithophel. He was notorious for his wisdom and for his understanding and was a king's counselor for a reason. 
He was in good company for a reason. Ahithophel was from a town called Gilo, a town near Hebron. If you look in Joshua chapter 15, don't turn there, just if you want to look it up later. The towns of uh, Moan, Ziph, and Carmel were all mentioned here. And he was a descendant of Caleb's line. And this is where uh, an area, he's from an area where David and his his mighty men kind of went and camped out. And uh, was a brother to Nabal. If you remember, Nabal was, uh, his name meant fool, Nabal. Well, he's actually a brother to Nabal, and Ahithophel means brother of a fool. So here was the good potential news for Ahithophel. He wasn't a fool like his brother, but he was a brother to the fool. So I want you to see how much this matters of the people that you have around you those fatherly voices that you allow to speak into your life. It's of utmost importance to have the right kind of influences. Well, here's what happens. I'm going to summarize a lot of it. In chapter 15, verses 11 and 12, it says, And with Absalom went 200 men invited from Jerusalem, and they went along innocently and did not know anything. Absalom just took the throne. Nobody knew it. He's like, oh, it's Absalom, King David's favorite son. He's here. Where's David? We don't know. He's old. He's, you know, war-weary and all that. Here's Absalom, the good-looking son. We're just going to follow him. Absalom was so smooth, he just kind of slipped right in, and nobody even noticed. Then Absalom sent for Ahithophel, the Gilanite, David's counselor from his city, while he offered sacrifices. And the conspiracy grew strong, for the people with Absalom continually increased in number. And David is messed up at this point. He knew that he could lose anybody except Ahithophel, because Ahithophel knew all of the king's secrets. He knew everything that could damage David in the long term by letting it out. So David is really in a bad way. Chapter 15, verse 31 says, then someone told David saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, oh Lord, I pray, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. And now, not to camp out on this too long, but um, this is what's called God translating a message. That actually happens right now. I've been... um, doing public speaking. I'd call it preaching, but it was, you know, all for the wrong agenda. So I'm going to call the previous 20 years just public speaking. And, uh, but I know this, that whenever someone stands up to give a gospel message, the Holy Spirit is actively involved in translating what you need to hear. Okay. But I also know this, there is, and you need to pray through this every time you're in a message. A lot of times you are not ready to hear the message that's being preached. Because you, you filter it through your own understanding. It is so utterly important that you realize that the Holy Spirit is translating for you right now. So to wait and to be still and to be patient on God and to help you understand what he's telling you through his word. Does that sound like good news? Yes. David was messed up. He knew that if he lost to Hithophel, he lost everything. All hope was gone. Chapter 15, verses 32 to 34. Now it happened when David had come to the top of the mountain where he worshiped God, there was Hushai, the archite, coming to meet him with his robe torn and dust on his head. And David said to him, bro, if you go on with me, you're going to become a burden. But if you return to the city and say to Absalom, I will be your servant, covert mission, O king, as I was your father's servant previously, so I will now also be your servant If you do this for me, then you will defeat the counsel of Ahithophel for me. 
right? So David, what he had to do is he had to fight fire with fire. There was somebody that came along, Hushai, okay? And this guy really befriended David quickly, but David said, not out here, man. I need, I, but I do have a purpose for you. If you go back into Jerusalem, go swear your allegiance and loyalty as a covert mission to Absalom, and defeat whatever you do. Remember Toy Story 4? Get that monkey, right? This was, this was Hushai's whole objective. Get Ahithophel. Don't let him talk. Defeat any kind of counsel that he has. And if you get him, we'll win. And I'll get back in. But if without it, we're done. We're toast. Well, he goes back. And apparently, this guy, Hushai, is so winsome that he ends up coming back in, you know, to Solomon's court and swearing allegiance to him. And right away, I'm sorry, uh, Absalom, I said that all wrong. Absalom is really just uh, taken by this guy. And he says, you know what? I bet Hushai's got something for us. Has no idea what's taking place between he and his father. And he actually gets invited to the table. And Ahithophel starts to talk. He doesn't know what's going on either. And he says, I know how to get David. Where you're like, wait a minute. What happened? We didn't know, you know, uh, Ahithophel had an agenda against David. Well, if you do a little bit more digging, you'll find out that Ahithophel was Bathsheba's uh, grandfather. And y'all remember that story where David saw Bathsheba bathing on the roof, lusted after, brought her up to his room, had sex with her, they had a child, but tried to blame the pregnancy on Uriah, her husband, who he brought home from the battle, said, hey, go take some time off, have some fun, you and your wife, just, I know everybody's out there fighting, man, you've been working hard, go ahead, so he could cover up his mistakes, well, he wouldn't do it. So he sent Uriah to the front lines and had him murdered. Well, Ahithophel kept all this bitter, resenting, sideways agenda in his heart and used the God-given gift of this, quote, oracles of God counsel that God had given him to serve the king. And when I read this story for the first time, I'm like, that's me. I'm that guy. I took something that God had given me And I used it for my own personal agenda because I like to be celebrated. And I'd ask you the same question today. What gift has God given you that you have used exclusively for personal gain? And a lot of times that can be hard to hear, but it can be one of the best things that you've ever heard because you can see for a moment, if God gives you a moment of clarity right now, where he turns the light, light on in the cellar that you choose to keep quiet, he says, that thing, that's what I'm dealing with. If we can fix that, there's a whole lot of other possibilities that can open up that you haven't even dreamt of yet. If we can get a handle on this one thing, that it's a good gift that just went sideways, what if God could turn that thing around and use it not only for his glory, but for your good and the abiding joy of others in Christ? What if he could do that? Wouldn't that be awesome? If we could just take this one good gift that went sideways, just imagine what God could do. So what happened is, Ahithophel starts to say, I know how we can get David. 
And he's not only given, you know, reactionary counsel to Absalom, he's, he's actually given directives. He's like, I got it all mapped out. I know exactly where David's at. He's in my homeland right now. I, I know the caves and the tunnel system where he's at. I played there as a kid and I know where to go get him. And Hushai speaks up and he's like, well, I don't know if this is the best advice. And Absalom's like, okay, let's go ahead and hear your report. And gives him a completely uh, different scenario. And Absalom says, I like this guy. Where are you from? Keep this guy around, all right? Starts praising Hushai, and uh, you know, uh, the whole time Ahithophel's thinking, man, I want this guy gone, right? And he's bitter, but not only that, he's deeply resenting him and realizes that his gift gone wrong has got the better of him. Skip down to this sad last verse in chapter 17, verse 23. Now, when Ahithophel saw that his advice was not followed, he saddled a donkey, arose and went to his house. Then he put his household in order and hanged himself and died. He was buried there in his father's tomb. What a sad end. What a, what a good beginning with lots of potential. But a sad end because he didn't know how to treat the good gift that God had given him. You know, we learn through Ahithophel what happens when gift and sideways agenda collide. You know, here we've got this elderly, bitter counselor in the king's court with a spiteful agenda for his family's dishonor. He's a metaphor of what misguided purpose can destroy in someone's life bent on personal gain. His story is the culminating demise of one who progressively sells out on the idol of performance. You know, what happens here in your own life, if you just kind of think about the thing that you've done well to the level of proficiency. And I'm, I'm kind of in that season of life right now. I'm, I'll be 44 next month. And I'm at the point where there are a couple certain things that I have confidence in that I've, you know, done that 10,000 strokes so many times, it just kind of becomes second nature. And it's kind of fun. Um, it's fun to reach a, a level of accomplishment, um, but realizing in some others that mastery is an impossibility in, in other areas. But it's fun to get good at something. But in order to get not just good at it, but good to a level where you realize you don't even have to use it if God desires you not to and have the same effect, it's having wisdom and how to, or even if to, use your gift from now on. The best use of your gift might be to lay it down. The best use of the thing that you do with a level of Unique and peculiar certainty. The best thing that might ever happen to that gift is for you to give it up. Maybe not forever, but maybe just for a time. So you can reroute that gift and really maximize it for God's glory. Well, here's how it happens, and maybe this is your story, where God blesses you with a peculiar gift to bring him honor and joy to others, okay? You just get that gift in your mind. Satan at the same time, or let's just blame it on our own flesh as well. There's no doubt in my mind that Satan is a real person. He's a real being. He's somewhere in the world right now causing havoc, but there is such a detailed report of that mafia 
that we don't know where it starts and where it stops. But I know this, according to biblical record and experience in my own life, that I am my own worst enemy. Satan doesn't have to touch me every day. I can do the, the worst work myself. So let's not blame everything on Satan. There's a part of this in our wheelhouse as well. But let's just say Satan or our own fleshly desires get a hold of the gift and turn it into performance. That gift and performance gets hijacked by injustice, personal agenda, or greed. That performance is praised and celebrated, marked as significant in your life or in mine, even anointed in the spiritual world by peers and opinion leaders. Someone comes along with a slightly better performance, which doesn't just decrease your performance, but strikes at your individual personal worth and value. Your gifts are great, but they can never satisfy the demands of God's standard of righteousness. I want you to know that. You're good. Maybe you need to hear somebody tell you that today. You're good. Very good at what you do. But you'll never be as proficient or master enough of what you do to attain the righteousness of God. That's outside of us. It has to be given to us by faith. There's nothing that you can do to earn it or deserve it. And you might be thinking, that's not why I'm working. I'm not working or doing my thing with peculiar skill to earn God's favor. Well, you're acting like it. I was acting like it. If you're anything like me, if you live in the real world where I do, and everybody else here does, you may have been operating out of this hidden agenda that maybe God won't love me or I won't be worthy enough because I'm not good. Or if I don't get better at this, I'm not going to win the right person's approval. Everything you already need for eternity has already been done for you. It's a gift. You literally just receive it by faith. And then after that, once you get that settled, it releases you to use your gift in a way that brings honor to God instead of having to mess around with a sideways agenda because you've already been given everything you'll ever need. Lastly, Jesus' performance is the only one that ever mattered to God. If it was enough to satisfy God's unyielding hunger for righteousness, it should be well enough for us as well. I want to give you three things that if you have been guilty, uh, like myself, like a hit fell where God gave you a good natural or spiritual gift and it went bad, you know, because of a personal agenda or greed or whatnot, you fill in the blank. There's three things I want you to do to land this plane today. The number one is this, if you're taking notes or if you just want to make a mental note, I think you'll remember these. Surround yourself with the following three people. You need three C's. You need a coach. You need a counselor. And you need comrades. You need a coach because someone in your life who has a similar path that you do, but they're way out ahead of you, or at least the next season of life in front of you, that can help point you along the way because they're on the other end of it to go, I know where this pitfall is. You need to get through this in order to get to that. A coach is action-oriented. They're like, do this, don't do that, let's go. Start up the bus, we're leaving. You know, matter of fact, you need a coach, someone that's bristly, but someone that loves you, but they, you don't know for a fact if they like you all the time, right? You question whether they like you, but you know that they love you. you. Just don't know if they like being around you. But you need somebody bristly in your life that's willing to tell you hard things, 
I've had this on more than one occasion, and I don't have the time to get into it, but you need a coach, someone to help you to get from this one level of proficiency to the next. Whether that's fathering, whether that's honing a skill, whether that's in your personal self-leadership, whatever that may be, a coach is there to help you get from one point to the next. The next one, a counselor. A counselor is someone that, that helps articulate the often complicated matters of the heart. And a counselor, this can be someone in your community group that you, know, you tell everything to. Uh, I would also recommend good, a good Christian counselor. Uh, someone that really knows the tools and knows how to help you in a certain season of life. Don't downplay that. It can be one of the best things that you've ever done to find a good biblical counselor. The comrades, these are people that are walking shoulder to shoulder with you. They're in the same season of life that you are. They make you better. They might provide healthy levels of competition. They might get you on the edge of your seat, but also these are people just to walk the journey with. If you're not in community right now, it's a mistake. Christians, beloved, I'm gonna tell you this. Community is oxygen in a Christian's spiritual lungs. And if you go without it, you're starving yourself. If you have this feeling today, I'm lonely, I'm gonna ask you this question right now. Are you in community? Are there people that know you? They know your name, they know you, and they know how to speak into your life. If nothing else, they're a heart and a set of ears. Do you have that if you're lonely? Are you backslidden? Have you allowed certain things in your life that have really become an idol and are in direct competition with God? Do you have that in your life right now? And I'm gonna ask you the same thing. Does somebody in your life know everything? Not everybody needs to know everything. That's dangerous. Don't trust everybody, even in your community group. And you're protecting them too because there's some sensitive stuff you shouldn't share with them. But I'm gonna tell you this, somebody, one of those people in your group needs to know absolutely everything. The weird stuff too. The things that you're embarrassed to even say you think about in church. Let's just be real. We're all human. There's some stuff that's gone in our minds and our hearts, even as good Christian people, we're thinking, where did that come from? And it's more than just a passing imagination. Some of you have dwelled on it and have maybe even acted out on some of those things. I know we live in a fallen world. And if somebody in your life doesn't know everything, you're making a big mistake, probably the biggest mistake of your life. Not everybody needs to know everything, but somebody does need to know everything. And it's, I brought a friend here with me today, Sean. Sean and I are going through discipleship together, and Sean's become a dear friend and uh, a bit of an armor bearer for me this morning. Thanks for being here. I love you. Sean knows everything. In a very short amount of time, I don't think there's much I haven't told you. I'm very thankful for that. I'm thankful for you. You need a Sean in your life. And I play that for Sean as well. I know things about him that I keep as a confidence. But if we keep those things inside of us, man, it'll kill you. Somebody needs to know everything. 
Be praying about who that is. You need a coach, you need a counselor, you need a comrade. I wrote a, a blog post. I've got a blog. You're more than welcome to take a look at it. Don't look at all of it. There's a lot of weird stuff there too. You're like, what is this guy doing? Okay. But one of them um, is the three people in life you should never go without. But um, it's actually uh, on our church's website as well. I think if you go to livingproof.co blog, it's, you'll scroll down, you'll see it. But if you want more info on that, there's some helpful links. But like I'd said, you know, we are the collection, you know, we are who we've been becoming. And most of that has been like this complicated network of voices. I love this quote by Dallas Willard, a Christian uh, brother, writer who's gone on to be with the Lord for some time now. But in a book called The Divine Conspiracy, he said this, we are who we are in Christ as a result of a series of someone's. We are who we are in Christ as a result of a series of someone's. We're not the result of just one or two voices. There's a collection of voices, even ones that we couldn't even recall until we get to the resurrection. We go, oh, that guy, that person, that girl, they spoke, it might've been just one thing or the thing that they didn't say that affected, but we are the result of a series of someone's. Make sure that those voices count. And I'd make that a prayer for you and your kids and your grandkids. Start praying that the right godly influences will balance out the world in them, that they could really point their ears and their hearts towards God as a result of it. So get those three people around you. Number two, don't overuse or neglect your gift. Don't overuse it. Anytime uh, someone sits down uh, in a counseling session with me, I know there's gonna be two things that we're probably gonna be dealing with. One is neurosis and one is character development issue. Neurosis is when I take on too much control. Neurosis is I'm gonna take on responsibility for myself and everybody else. It's when I do too much. Character development is I'm not gonna take responsibility for anybody, let alone myself. And I don't know which one you would be. But when it comes to your gift, especially using it to benefit the church, which is the, the soul's highest honor, really, on this side of eternity, is to use your gift to benefit the body. It's an amazing thing. But if you overuse it, a couple things happen. You're not going to give anybody else an opportunity to use a similar gift. We want our gifts to not compete with one another, but to complement one another. And if somebody comes along that does it better than you, praise God. Let them do it. And God's going to use them as well, just like he's used you. Work in humility in the heart. Don't overuse your gift. And don't neglect your gift. A lot of you aren't serving because you don't have the right platform you want to use it. I was walking down the hallway today, and I was talking with Emily and Cole, and uh, I love those kids. They're just great. They really are. And I, I serve in family ministry and uh, student ministry. And my favorite, one of my favorite things to do is hang out with the kids. And being back there today would have been just as special as being in here. If you just imagine where Jesus would be on a Sunday morning if he came in person on a Sunday... I don't know if he'd be up here giving a message. Not that that's not important, divine work. I don't know if he'd be leading worship. And not that that's not a divine appointment as well. But I think he'd be back there with the kids. Just to show us an example of not just the right work, but, the, but to show us how he enjoys the right work. He enjoys 
that work and he wants us to enjoy it. And that might mean using that gift in a way that nobody else is gonna see except for some 10-year-olds. Well, what if God gave you the opportunity? What if you've been sitting still because I don't have quite the platform to do it? Well, go do it where nobody's gonna see it first and then let God commend. There's strict references in scripture that says if you seek good things for yourself, don't seek it. Seek the good of others and then God will. We have a promise that he will give us everything we, he knows that we need. The basics, food, clothing, and shelter. He'll give it to us. He'll pack our barns full to make sure that we've got enough and for others if we seek the good of others and the glory of God. But if we seek good for ourselves, we cut everybody off, including ourselves. Don't overuse or neglect your gift. And your last one here, and I'm sorry I've been a little bit over, is spiritually self-diagnosed with wisdom. Some of us today have a mastery level on our own condition, but you are not considering the huge blind spot just behind you. There are things in your blind spot that everybody else sees that God does not allow you to see. How can you do a real spiritual self-diagnosis on yourself without all the knowledge. If you do that just by yourself without allowing other people to help guide you through a spiritual self-assessment, you're cutting the whole process off at the knees. But allow those people into your life and do a self-diagnosis. I do encourage you to do that, but not just your voice alone. And when you do a spiritual self-diagnosis, diagnosis. Do so with wisdom and sobriety. Do it in clarity of thought and where you're not taken up with emotions or where you only think about your position with God when you're upset. Think about it often. Examine yourselves, 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, our brother says, or do you not realize this about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail to meet the test? I want to give you this last thing. In Romans chapter five, this is really just a checklist of Christian assurance. I got through most of my adult life and struggled with 13 years with moderate addiction to pornography. I couldn't shake it. Finally, one day in 2018, I prayed. I said, God, just do whatever it takes. Just deal with me. Leave my family out of it, if at all possible, but just take this slavery to lust and pornography. And he took it away. And I... I felt something, I experienced something that I heard Christians talk about for years but had never experienced. Assurance of salvation. And based on my experience, I will never ever put eternal security in a subcategory of Christian doctrine ever again. It is something to be experienced. Some of you are saved today, but you have no assurance because something's dominated you or because you have a, give, a good gift that has gone wrong in serving a sideways agenda. And you can correct that today. Maybe you just need assurance. But maybe some of you need to actually experience salvation for the first time. And God's calling your number today in a loving way. 
Not in a judgmental way. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance, amen? Amen. Romans 5, here's your checklist, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, having been justified, just as if I'd never sinned, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Enough said. Peace with God. Whether you feel it or not, there has been a declaration of peace. Not based upon you or your performance, but based upon Christ's performance. He's the only one that needed to do it. Now we get to do the life of Christ, but we're going to mess up along the way. It's a good thing that God's only keeping record of one, his own son. Through Christ, whom we also have access by faith into this grace which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Think about this. We don't have the glory of God yet, right? We will, we'll experience it someday, but for right now, guess what's gonna have to do? And not just, okay, I guess that'll do. No, once you experience the full gamut of what God means for you to intend through this, you'll understand it. We have the hope of the glory of God right now. Not the glory of God itself, but the hope. And I'm telling you, if you were to experience it at its full level, you'd think you were in heaven. It is something to be experienced. We have this And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we glory in tribulations. Knowing that tribulations produce perseverance. And perseverance, character. And character produces hope. So we put hope on the bookends. That God gives you the hope at the beginning. And some of you, if you ever confused that you got saved, quote, with receiving the hope of glory... You might have got saved somewhere along the lines, but just because you got saved, you don't necessarily feel it getting saved, but you experience the hope of the glory of God. I'm here to tell you today that if you haven't received it, it's a free gift, and it's, it can happen after salvation. You just ask God for it. God, I have no divine assurance, but I need to know from you that I'm loved. I need to know that the plans you have for me are good and have me in mind in eternity. God will give that to you. He won't give it to you right away, more than likely, but he will give it to you. Some of you are primed and ready to get it. Some of you are so beat up and torn down that you are right on the cusp of receiving your next hope of the glory of God. And it's something that, it, that fills your heart. And I'll show you how he does that here in this verse. Five, now hope... He says, don't get me wrong. It doesn't disappoint. It's not the thing, but it's the thing enough to make you appreciate what we've got right here. Now, this hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. At Discover Church, we exist to see our city changed by Jesus one life at a time. If you'd like to take your next step of faith today, text the word FAITH to 816 816- Two zero three one eight three five. Again, that's the word faith to eight one six two zero three one eight three five. If this is your first time listening, we'd love to connect. Reach out to us on social media and let us know that you've found us through the Discover Church podcast. Thanks for listening.